Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. John Schmelk, Paul Dettino with you. The phone number, 201-939-4513. It is less than a week until the NFL draft. I am excited. I know Paul is too. Let's go. And a lot to talk about on this Friday edition. We have two great guests coming up. Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus will join us in about 10 minutes at 1210. And at 1235, Charles Davis from the NFL Network Talk and Draft. And we can get some NFL stuff from both guys as well. Because they both cover the league and the draft. So should be a lot of fun. I'll be honest, not sure we're going to get in a lot of calls with you today. But we'll do our best. The good thing is next week, we're going to do a ton of your calls. To get everybody's final opinions, opinions in on the draft. Yep. The strategy, what the Giants should do. I know we've had a lot of guests. We hope we've gotten you a lot of good information. But it'll be a lot of your opinion next week along with a handful of draft experts as well. All right, Paul, let's take this stage by stage here. One, let's start with the schedule release. That's what's happened most recently. Now, it's not a huge deal. It's more important for Paul and I because we plan our travel schedules based on this. (laughs) But for the folks out there that don't go to games or travel to games, it's not that big of a deal because we know who the opponents were already. Uh, Paul, I look at the schedule. Not a, too many things jump out at me that really that fans would care about, except that the Giants better hit the ground with their feet moving. Because if you stumble early in the schedule, you're going to lose football games. I broke it down on um, Giants.com in our Cover 3 feature on Thursday. Of the first seven opponents... Every team but one, the Houston Texans, who, by the way, will be better this year because Deshaun Watson's going to be healthy, won nine or more games last year. Yeah. The Cowboys won nine. The Saints won ten. The Jaguars won ten. The Panthers won eleven. Uh, the Falcons won ten. And the Eagles won thirteen. So Nasty. the first seven games is really, really tough. And by the way, the four games after that aren't exactly easy either with the Redskins at San Francisco, Tampa with the young team that's improving, and the Eagles once again. So uh, the Giants better start the season playing good football or they're going to pay the price in the loss column. Yeah, I would not disagree with that at all, John. I think one of the things, though, that the, the fans, at least the home fans, are really happy about, the Giants will open at home and Tom Coughlin and the Jaguars come in, which is kind of a cool thing. Giants don't get very many week one home games. That's just not been the case yes. in, in, in recent years. So that's a cool thing, and, and of course, having TC come back is neat. Uh, and then also having the closing game at home against Dallas. Uh, I had not checked. Maybe I should have. It's not that relevant. You're right to you and I. But to a lot of fans out there, to have the home opener and the regular season finale both be home, that's kind of nice. Yeah, it's Week the first, 1 and 17. And it's the first time since they've gone to this you know, division schedule on Week 17 where you play all the games yeah. within your division that the Giants have played Dallas in Week 17. So yes. uh, that's always a fun thing. And they don't go to Dallas in Week 1, which is great. You get Tom Coughlin in the building instead. Uh, for Giants season ticket holders, only one home 4 o'clock game on Sundays. I know they like the 1 o'clock games. Of course, it can change with flex scheduling. And only one home primetime game, and that would be the – Thursday night game against the Philadelphia Eagles. So right. um, a lot of six 1 o'clock home games, and again, that could change with flex scheduling late in the year. Yes, it can. But I know a lot of the Giant fans that like the 1 o'clock home games will certainly like that. I think the, the other thing that I've been getting a lot of tweets about, people are saying to me, Giants won three games. They were a fourth-place team. How did they get such a nasty schedule? Because the, the uh, winning percentage of the opponents based on last year is tied for eighth most difficult in the league. There's a formula, folks. Well, of course, the divisional rotation happened to bite them in the rear end this year because they drew under the rotation, which is predetermined. Okay, they, they rotate. You know, this is just the way it is. They got the NFC South and the AFC South this year. Guess what? That gives you a combined five teams that won a minimum of nine games last season. So your divisional rotation games are going to be very difficult because you happen to draw two divisions who kicked butt last season. That's just the breaks of the game. You know, every year, every division probably wants to play the AFC East, but it doesn't work out that way. Unless you're the Patriots. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I like that, John. I like that. Uh, and so, you know, that's just the breaks. So that's the reason why. Only two games on the schedule, 
I believe, John, and I I haven't gone over the formula in a while, but I believe only two games That's on the correct. schedule are actually uh, determined yes. by your position in the standings. You play, you play one AFC division, you play one NFC division, you play your own division. That makes up 14 games, and that's all by formula. Mm. Only two games against the other – you play the team that finished in the same place that you did in the two other NFC conferences in the Giants' case this year. That is the Chicago Bears because and they finished in last San place Fran. and the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. <laughs> and you rotate home and road. Now, unfortunately, the, for the improving Giants, San Francisco 49ers. The Niners are not a last place team <laughs> with Jimmy Garoppolo, a quarterback. And I think I don't think the Bears are a playoff team this year, but I think no. they will be better than they were last year. Mitch Trubisky is second year. They've made some well. free agent additions. So that's it. I want to get to the other stuff because we've done enough on the schedule. We have okay. guests coming up in five minutes. Yes. Real quick, Brandon Marshall let go by the Giants. We talked all year about it, that being a medical issue. Was he going to be able to pass a fist? When could he pass a physical? Well, they got to the point of no return. They cut him on the foul physical. Yep. And they'll move on, and we'll see if they decide to add a bigger wide receiver sometime in the draft or in free agency. And fans, do not get excited about Des Bryant. It's probably not going to happen. There are a lot of hurdles to clear with Des Bryant. One is the medical because you need to be relatively sure he's going to be able to get through with that foot. He made it last year with Dallas, but that doesn't mean he's going to be able to buy another season on that thing. And remember, with the excuse train running for him, they talked about him dealing with a knee injury all year too, and that's why he wasn't as effective. I'll, so, believe, it, I'll believe it when I see it, but that's another medical thing. So you got medical, you got uh, salary uh, to deal with, and then you also have potential locker room issues that he's had in the past when, when He's been in Dallas. So you got a lot of hurdles to clear if you're gonna have Des Bryant on this roster. I don't like I don't see it as no, a likely fit. But you never know. I'll give you a good name. All right. And folks, I don't know anything, but there's an unrestricted veteran free agent out there who fits the description of a rather tall, experienced receiver and a possession guy. That'd be Eric Decker, who played for the Jets. I could see Eric Decker. If he still wants to play, and I haven't seen anything recently that says he's is for sure. I believe he visited the Ravens a couple of weeks ago. That would be the kind of guy I'd be looking at if I was going to pick up a veteran. I actually think that's a really good fit. But they may decide to go get a six foot four guy in the draft, which there'll be some of those. There aren't many, but there's a couple. They're 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 available. Equinemius St. Brown, anybody? Or or Maybe they find a Victor Cruz dark horse after the draft is over. And by the way, I'll throw this out there too. Not Victor, by the way, but a Victor Cruz type. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. You kind of have enough guys to throw the football to with Sterling Shepard, Odell Beckham Jr., and Evan Ingram. Those are three pretty darn good weapons. So it's not like you need to find a big-time impact guy. You have three very good receivers that are already going to take up a lot of those targets on the roster. So I would also add they believe, they believe that Corey Latimer is a Dominic Hickson diamond in the rough because of the uh, coaching experience that our wide receivers coach had with the Broncos. Well, he was also a former second-round pick. He is talented. Correct. So they think he can be productive and be an assistance right. uh, in, in the on the depth chart. And you have Roger Lewis back, too. So, you know, I think they're going to want to add competition. Let's not kid ourselves, folks. They will, I believe, add competition. I agree. But, but Latimer is a guy I think a lot of people forget about, and they think there's big ups in him. All right, now we got about two minutes before we get Sam Monson on. Real quick on the Gettleman press conference. We can parse through all the quotes here, folks. But the bottom line is that Dave Gettleman made the case for picking Saquon Barkley when he raved about what a good prospect he was and how running back value um, – should not be devalued. That's a myth. He mm -hmm. talked about how other people worry about skill position guys, but he's worried about winning up front. So that points to Quentin Nelson or Bradley Chubb. Then he talked that he was asked directly whether or not any of these quarterbacks um, don't have the full package. If any of them have the full package, he says, I didn't say they didn't have the full package. Right. So, And he also talked about walking the tightrope of winning now and preparing the team yes. for the future. So that means quarterback, if the right guy is there, that's still on the table. And finally, he talked about maximizing value. And maybe the best way to maximize value, and he also talked about the team needing depth. So yes. how do you acquire more depth for a team? Remember, the Giants were 3-13 and last year. Both him and Pat Shermer have talked about in not embracing that, but understanding where you are. Well, you know what? You need to fill more than one hole. So how do you do that? By trading down in the draft. So in other words, but all the options are still open. Yes. And he hasn't made his decision yet. That was the other big thing out of the presser. And he also said he had gotten phone calls about the number two pick. And he will not make a decision. I would not expect to see a decision until draft day. That's what he said. Yep. So... 
Folks, <laughs> let, let the blopping continue for another week. No question. Because there are no concrete answers. All right, and now let's get to our first guest, Sam Monson. He does a great job for Pro Football Focus. And Pro Football Focus, if you're a subscriber, just released their draft guide. Folks, I got to tell you, when I sent this to my printer here guy, he goes, John, this might be the biggest book we've done except for one. It is, and Sam, I'm holding it up right now, it is more than 500 pages of stats, charts, graphs of a, every player um, in here is probably going to be drafted next week. It's a wonderful book. Go to Pro Football Focus if you want to check it out. Sam, what do you want to tell people about the book and how they get it? Yeah, I mean, you can go to profootballfocus.com. In fact, if you go to uh, join.profootballfocus.com forward slash draft, you go straight to the page that shows you everything about our draft guide. Um, full written profiles of 200 prospects. Um, for our stat profiles on 400 prospects and some form of data on over 2,000 guys in there. So it is a monster. 2,000 guys. And holy smokes. And, Sam, one other thing that I think is really interesting and something you guys are kind of just developing and getting into more detail on is your accuracy ratings and some of your advanced stuff on ball placement for quarterbacks, which you have in your quarterback book, but you also have it for the rookies in this book. And you have – Accuracy charts, what percentage of quarterbacks' passes hit the body, hit the hands, or short, or over the head, where they throw it, what percentage of their throws go on certain routes in what situations. Uh, this is pretty much the most comprehensive breakdown of quarterback numbers you can find, right? Yeah, it's the perfect draft to be bringing this stuff to the table as well because you've got guys like Josh Allen and guys like Baker Mayfield, and the big questions are, you know, how much are external factors a part of this? How much is the... Um, the, the the offense that Baker Mayfield played in factoring into his his numbers and how much is Josh Allen's completion percentage a, a product of the fact that he's playing at Wyoming and his receiving core wasn't great. So we're looking at that. We're looking at not just whether the pass was complete or not, but where did he put it? Was the ball perfectly accurate actually on the frame of the receiver or was it left behind? Was it killing yards after the catch opportunities, all that kind of stuff. So we've actually charted exact ball location on all these guys for every pass they attempted, um, and, and there's some amazing numbers in there. And, you know, again, it shows that it's not just a case of completion percentage for Josh Allen. For once, the, the completion percentage does actually tell the story that he is an inaccurate quarterback, and the advanced um, true accuracy numbers bear that out. Sam, let me ask you this: of of all the guys at your at your PFF staff, uh, I'm sure you know there's so many games that are being watched, so much tape that's being watched to come up with the numbers. Are there a bunch of guys, a handful, maybe two or three, that you guys had an impression when you watched the games of we really think this guy is either not so good or maybe really good, and then after you added up all the numbers and you did all your calculations and your Good charts, question. you found out he was totally the opposite of what you thought. Um, I don't think anyone's been, anyone's come out completely the opposite of what people thought. There are some guys where, you know, that have, have certainly with the advanced accuracy stuff, the exact accuracy, there are some guys that didn't come out quite the way we were expecting. Um, Mason Rudolph is the most obvious one. We expected him to be really good with the advanced accuracy stuff this year, and he just wasn't. He was one of the, the lower guys on, on ball location stuff, mm, which wow. was kind of confusing. He's been one of the toughest evaluations of any of these quarterbacks this year. Uh, we just haven't been able to do to, to nail down exactly what he is. His numbers are kind of all over the place. Um, he, he shows really well in some categories, really badly in other categories, and he has a lot of the same question marks as Baker Mayfield does in terms of playing in the Big 12 where defense is optional and um, you know having an offense that manufactures a lot of easy looks for him and playing throwing to a bunch of NFL caliber wide receivers as well. So yep. is, is there anybody opposite though that, that after you did the numbers the numbers said something better than what you thought you saw? Um, I don't know that anyone has dramatically jumped up because of the numbers. Some The numbers attended to confirm what we've thought uh, with a bunch of guys. Baker Mayfield's advanced numbers were pretty much as good as his overall numbers. Um, Kyle Laletta, when we went and did his stuff out of Richmond, again, his numbers looked really good, especially as accuracy plus, which is accuracy plus for us is basically perfect ball location, not just um, putting it in a catchable spot, but absolutely um, exactly where it needs to be on that given play. 
he was among the best quarterbacks. In fact, he was second of the guys that we looked at wow. in accuracy plus, um, which, again, confirms what you saw. If you saw him at the senior bowl, yeah, he was good. red zone stuff was a work of art. Yeah. You know, Sam, it's funny. Your colleague, Mike Renner, over there, who we have actually had on the show since he played the piano for us at the Combine a couple of years ago, which was <laughs> tremendous, by the way. Um, he had a great tweet this morning, and this was his tweet. I'm going to read it. Practice time and player development is at, a, it is at an all-time low, and this is sarcasm, but let's draft players who might be quality starters just in time to pay them in free agency. <laughs> and, and I think it's a really good point, and I think this is kind of, you guys are kind of on the front lines of this war, and I think the league is slowly shifting away from drafting traits versus drafting football players. Because Paul and I talk about this all the time. Yeah. Practice time is limited now in the league. So you can only do so much to get guys better from what they were in college. But at the same time, Dave Gettleman talked about this at his press conference yesterday. Colleges are limited in how much they can practice with these guys and develop them. So I think how do you guys find that balance between understanding what skills you can develop in the NFL from what guys are coming out of college and what things are really hard to fix where a player is deficient in college heading into the NFL. Have you guys been able to wrap your hands around that at all? Yeah, I think there's never been a worse time to be drafting project players because you just don't have the time to turn them into complete um, to complete NFL players. You don't have time to fix all the flaws. Um, we've been working a lot recently, this offseason in particular, of um, understanding what things are predictive, what things translate from year to year, and what things translate from college to the pros. And I think the next step for us is being able to try and isolate which traits can improve, you know, which things can you actually fix at the next level um, and dialing in on those players as, yeah, we can take a guy who's not great at this because this is fixable, but if a guy is basically inaccurate, say, at a quarterback, there's no fixing that. We, we're not, we don't have the time to rebuild this guy's fundamentals from the ground up and turn him into a more accurate quarterback let's focus on something else that we might be able to improve at the next level. I think that's the big thing is that the NFL is still looking at guys who have all the athleticism, all the measurables as things they can't teach and thinking they can teach these guys how to become football players, but they don't have that kind of time anymore. So they may be better served to pick the guys that are quality football players and then try and draw a line under uh, you know, try and draw a line of basic athleticism required to get that done at the next level and say, okay, we're going to take a guy that's been this productive unless he is catastrophically um, unathletic, you know, so bad that there's just no way that's going to work at the next level. <laughs> yeah, in that case, he's going into pro wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, yeah. L- l- let, me, let me ask you this. You guys have been around now for a few years. Um Strictly by an analytics numbers perspective, because I'm not going to be foolish enough to think that that's the only component. Dave Gettleman says when you draft the number two overall, you have to be able to see the guy fitted for a golden jacket. He's got to be a Hall of Fame player down the road. Strictly from an analytics numbers point of view, which guys in this draft, if any or how many, do you believe are future Hall of Fame players? Forget about the other things that, that, that are involved in it. Strictly from the numbers perspective. Yeah, I mean, from an analytics point of view, the guys that we are most confident in having absolute dominant success at the next level would be um, Quentin Nelson, the guard out of Notre Dame. The question with him, which could make his value even higher, is can he play left tackle at the next level, which is obviously a much more valuable position. And at the moment, there isn't really anything that says he can't, other than the fact that he hasn't done it before. Um, we're also extremely high on Baker Mayfield, obviously a quarterback. He was okay. broken our system in terms of the best passing grades we've ever seen. He has the, the two highest single-season grades we've ever seen from a quarterback. Um, and his third season is in the top seven. So his grading has been just head and shoulders above anybody else. The other guy we are incredibly high on is Maurice Hurst, the defensive tackle out of Michigan, who is another guy who has just distanced himself at the top of the grading from any other guy and particularly on de- on the defensive line, from pass rushes and interior guys, the guys that have dominated our system have translated really well to the NFL. So people like Joey Bosa, people were picking holes in his game, wondering whether he's maxed out as a prospect. 
but he dominated the college PFF grading, and he's dominated the NFL grading as well. Now, you left Saquon Barkley out of that list of three players. And also Bradley Chubb, by the way. Well, Chubb, too. So is it is it your analytics perspective that those two guys are not potential Hall of Fame jacket guys? Yeah, Bradley Chubb in particular is a guy that we are less high on than other people. We don't actually have him as the number one edge rusher in our in our on our big board we think that he is going to be a good pass rusher a very good run defender but not an all-world kind of guy and if you're looking for that elite pass rushing talent the only guy really that fits that bill is harold landry out of mm-hmm. boston college he's yeah, just been I've heard a far that. more productive edge rusher and barkley Barkley, I think, well, for the, the guys that really are deep into the analytics of PFF, they want to knock down every running back, let alone Barkley. <laughs> they, want, they don't want a single running back taken in the first round. Uh, but if we, if we move them to the side for a little bit, I think you have to understand what Barkley is, which is a, an incredibly talented um, receiving option, not a, a dominant runner, a dominant ball carrier. He, he relatively struggles between the tackles. He's a, a run-to-daylight kind of guy, wants to bounce everything outside the way Reggie Bush always did in his career. Um, sometimes it makes him some big plays, but sometimes it loses him a lot of opportunities as well. So I can see a situation where Barkley is extremely good. I can see him having dominant seasons, but really you are looking at a guy who is a matchup weapon as a receiver uh, probably not a, a Hall of Fame kind of guy based on his all-round game. I want to go back to the first part of that answer, Sam. Why do your analytics people believe running backs do not hold value to be first-round picks? Because all the numbers they're pulling out at the moment in terms of expected points added and, and wins above replacement and all this kind of complex stuff that baseball has been diving into for years says that the passing game is paramount. Everything is coverage, everything is receiving, it's passing the ball, running really doesn't move the needle that much, and also running is the most dependent position in the NFL, so even if you have a Hall of Fame guy back there, you need the blocking, otherwise it doesn't matter, and the difference between a Hall of Fame guy versus just a pretty good running back in the backfield, if you do have the blocking to get them somewhere, again, is not moving the needle that much, so you are far better off investing that first round pick and somebody that can improve your passing game because that's what produces the wins, whether it's cornerbacks to cover, whether it's pass rushers to, to pressure the quarterback, whether it's a quarterback himself, if you don't already have one, or the pass protection or the receiver, something that improves your passing game because that's what's moving the needle in terms of expected points added or, or uh, correlating to wins at the end of the day. Now I'm going to play the role of Dave Gettleman here and ask a follow-up question because Dave Gettleman made the point at yesterday's press conference that he believes the presence of a great running back will impact how other teams will defend you in the pass game. I don't even know where to start and how you can measure that analytically and statistically. <laughs> I don't think you maybe, can. Maybe you guys can figure out a way. Maybe you have. I don't know, Sam. But is there a way for you guys to figure out if there is an impact on how teams will defend, say, a team like the Cowboys differently because Elliott's on the field? So even if he doesn't get the ball on any given play, mm-hmm. he will impact the pass game. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think there is something to that, um, and that's that's the next step of this whole process, and it's why we're not just letting the analytics guys loose. Thank you, Sam. We've got to Thank dial you. back a little bit until we, until we really figure out where it is. Um, but one thing that, that sort of suggests it's not a huge impact is things like play action. Um, play action is not dependent on the running back being great. Play action works just by running play action. You don't need to have Zeke Elliott in the backfield for play action to be effective. It's going to work whether the running back is him, whether it's Darren McFadden, whoever. Um, so I, I think it definitely does have an impact, but we haven't got as far yet as defining exactly how big that impact is. All right, final one from me, Sam. I know your, your, your time's probably limited. Let me ask you this. Uh, we have had so much conversation about uh, the disparity between the top offensive linemen, that is Nelson, and the rest of the other offensive linemen, that there are a lot of good second-rounders available. You could still get a quality starter if you pass on Nelson. We've talked about same thing with Barkley. If you pass on Barkley, there's a good chunk of, of, of other running backs who are going to be really good in the second round. But then we've also talked about after Chubb, 
Well, guess what? The defensive end position outside of Marcus Davenport drops off like uh, you're, you're, you know, you're in the middle of a cliff. <laughs> um, your thoughts on those three positions and, and how close is that second group to the number one guy as compared to with the defensive ends where the drop-off seems to be deep? Yeah, I think that's the one argument for taking a pass rusher high in this draft is that the, the drop-off is significant. You, we, at the moment, have three guys that we think are first-round edge rushers. It's Harold Landry, like I mentioned before. It's Bradley Chubb, and then it's Marcus Davenport. After that, it is it, it does drop off precipitously. And yeah. if you don't have a guy, it's, it's a big concern. So, you know, I, I think that the Giants – can't pass up with the opportunity of taking a quarterback at two. Um, you're just not going to get that roll around every year. And Eli Manning is coming towards the end of his career. How far off that is is up for debate. So I think you've got to take a quarterback at two. But if you don't, in terms of which positions drop off the most steeply, edge rusher is that one. All right, Sam, I'm going to do a lightning round with you last. But before we get there, you just mentioned the Giants. So with all the guys we've had on, I've asked them for their predictions mm-hmm. of what you think the Giants will do in the first and second round. And then I've asked the same question, except what you would do if you were the Giants in the first or second round. So why don't you give me both of those? All right, what I think they will do is, God, I think they're going to take Saquon Barkley at number two. Um, what I would do is take take the quarterback, which, you know, whichever your favorite guy doesn't go number one, you pick him at number two because you're just not going to get that shot again. I think number one, I think it's probably going to be Sam Darnold, at which point I would take Baker Mayfield at number two because we think he's the best quarterback there. And how about the second round pick, top of the second round? The second round, I think they're in a pretty good spot to to address a number of needs. I think the the top of the second round is not the best place to be in terms of value, but I think depending on who falls out of that first round, you might get a very good offensive lineman high in the second. That would be a pretty good place for the Giants to go. They, They still need to keep rebuilding that offensive line. All right, uh, one more concept question, Sam, which actually just jogged my mind here. I wanted to ask you this. Have you guys, you know, they have the traditional Jimmy Johnson trade chart, right? Yes. With your yeah. guys and your number crunching, if you don't pick a quarterback at number two, let's just take that off the table for, for, for the time being. Have you guys figured out based on probability of draft pick success and things like that, you know, value of trading down to, say, get the 12 and 22 in a second-round pick from the Bills or staying at two in terms of probability of success and value of those individual draft positions? Is, uh, is that something you guys have worked on at all? We haven't done it on a league-wide basis. Um, we did, I know the analytics guys did a little bit of legwork on this um, in terms of trying to quantify the chances of the Patriots' early picks being more successful than the Jets picking at number three overall, just mm-hmm. based on those probability things you talked about, the strike rate of, of draft picks. Right. And their conclusion was that they were that the, the Patriots were 75% more likely to have a better um, haul at the end of this uh, draft over the top few picks than the, the Jets were at number three overall based on those things. Wow. So we'll definitely be able to extrapolate it out to the full league at some point. Excellent. All right, rapid fire, because there are some guys I know that you like more than other people and some guys you dislike more than other people. <laughs> so give me like 15, 20 seconds or however long you want to go on each one of these guys on why you either have them higher or lower than other people in the league. And 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 you've already touched on some of these guys, but I want to touch on a couple others that we haven't mentioned yet. Um, let's start with this. Tremaine Edmonds, you have him ranked as your 29th best player. Most people think he's a top 12 guy. Why shouldn't he be? Uh, because his main selling point is that he's 19 years old, which is nice, but it's not exactly <laughs> it's not a positive in his play. He's a, he's a pretty good player, but he's not a dominant player. Um, and the whole idea that he's going to discover the secret to being Ray Lewis in the 13 months of age between him and Roquan Smith, <laughs> who is a genuine top 10 talent, is okay. ludicrous. <laughs> Very good. I, I half expected to buy your draft guide and see Frank Ragnow on the cover. You guys love the center out of Arkansas. <laughs> Why should he be the first interior offensive lineman off the board after Quentin Nelson? So he's another one of those players that has put distance between himself and everybody else at the top of the PFF grading. He has the top two single seasons of PFF grades for the center position, and he's well clear of anybody else uh, following him up there. He doesn't lose in the run game. He has uh, one of the best um, 
run block percentages over the past two years in terms of losing blocks, and he also has one of the best in terms of winning blocks as well. So there's a bunch of plays where obviously the offensive linemen and the defensive linemen are happy enough to occupy the same gap, and it's just a wash. It's not a positive or a negative. But he both wins all the time, and he doesn't lose. So he's, he's uh, I think, a lot better than everybody's giving him credit for. You wrote a very good article this morning about Calvin Ridley. Why do you think there's a pretty precipitous drop-off after him at the wide receiver position? I think this wide receiver group is pretty chaotic. It's a bunch of guys that have some significant flaws to their game, and each one of them does different things well. Calvin Ridley's route running is just absolutely obscene. It's incredible. <laughs> um, he does things at a, an extremely high NFL level. He isn't just you know a crisp route runner and a guy that – gets open because of that he understands how to move defensive backs around the field by how he runs routes and that's something you don't see even many nfl players do and really just does it instinctively without having to think about it at full speed um the, the thing with him though is that he needs to because he's not great at the catch point and he he it helps that he's able to buy himself that extra wiggle room in terms of separation you have mark and da- marcus davenport as your 32nd overall player He's going to get drafted in the top 20. Why is that a mistake? I don't even know that it's a mistake. I think we're just making the point that he is a flawed prospect. He's Got very it. raw. He hasn't dominated necessarily. Um, and He doesn't show the full spectrum of, of pass rush moves that he's going to need at the NFL level. But particularly with this draft class being so weak at edge rusher, I think you're right. He's going to get pushed up the draft. And I don't know that it's a bad move for that to happen. It's just probably going to take an adjustment period for him to be as good in the NFL. And Taven Bryan, same type of deal? Yeah, same thing. Again, he's, he's the guy that actually we're getting higher on as the process goes, and we start diving into his grade and his numbers a little bit more. Um, but again, he, he just he isn't quite as good, I think, as a lot of people are giving him credit for yet. Finally, and then we can say goodbye, I'll let you get on your soapbox about Josh Allen because I know you are fighting the Twitter war <laughs> on him on a daily basis. Go ahead. Yeah, look, Josh Allen is a guy, if, if the first thing you can tell me about a quarterback is he has a cannon for an arm, it means he's probably not a very good quarterback. Um, and that's the case with Josh Allen. He has the strongest arm in this draft class. He has the strongest arm for in most draft classes, but he's in, an inaccurate quarterback. He's a guy that hasn't been that good on a down-to-down basis. The competition thing doesn't really wash because the season before, he was throwing to four different NFL, four different players that made the NFL at Wyoming. And whatever you lose in terms of your competition, your supporting cast not being great, you also gain bank by the fact that you're playing in the Mountain West. So you're going up against guys that are pretty terrible as well. Um, <laughs> look, Josh Allen is an IKEA quarterback. There's a big box, and in there is a bunch of quarterback components. And you can assemble a franchise quarterback out of them all, but you're going to have to do it yourself. And, you know, the <laughs> manual is in Swedish, so good luck with that. <laughs> that's an interesting way to describe it. I love it. it. I love it. By the way, Sam, he's my favorite quarterback in the draft, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, great stuff. We appreciate the time, my friend. Enjoy the draft process, and we'll catch up with you later in the offseason. All right, bud? Anytime. Take it easy, guys. Sam Monson, a good friend, friend of the program, does a great job. Been joining us for years. And again, Pro Football Focus, their draft guide is out. Make sure you go check it out. 500 pages of goodness. I'm telling you, folks, this thing is a monster. It's great. And it's a good analytical um, companion to some of the other more scout basis draft guides they have out there. Well, and, and that's what it is. It's like if you go into a restaurant and you want seafood, you order seafood. If you want steak, you order steak. If you want steak and someone gives you seafood, you may not be happy with it. Um, Sam is right. The, the analysis is one thing. The data is another. These guys are great with their data. I would never dispute the fact that their data collection is incredible. And if you're simply looking at it from a computer mathematics perspective, how can you argue with the effort that they put into this book? I mean, it's a huge book. It's it's an encyclopedia. It's a phone book. But that's not necessarily what an old school guy looks at. And by the way, they do admit that there is more to it than the numbers. They absolutely do do. all the time. And that's why I appreciated Sam when he said, you know, I got a bunch of analytics guys here who want to kill the running backs. But we don't let them. And we we don't let them. Because (laughs) Sam is well aware that there is much more to that that onion than than just the sliver. And and that's the thing that I try to warn people about all the time, to be a little careful, because we get people on Twitter and on our show all the time, fans, who quote – PFF numbers 
and believe that that's the end of the story. It's not. And, and any coach, GM, or personnel director or scout will tell you that. No question about it. It's putting all the pieces of the puzzle together to come to a final decision. John in Vegas, we're going to go to a guest here real quick. If you want to hang on the line, I'll get to you after the guest. If you want to call back, I'll make sure I get you on before the end of the show as well. It's your call, John. It's up to you. But for now, we're joined by Charles Davis. Uh, second straight year we've had him on before the draft. Of course, you know him from NFL Network and NFL on Fox as well. Does the draft, does the pro game. No one better to talk to about trying to figure out what college prospects will translate to the NFL level. Charles, you got John Schmelk and Paul Dottino here in East Rutherford, New Jersey. How are you today? Hello, Charles. I'm, hey, guys. It's good to talk with you again. Thanks for having me back on. And Yeah, I'm sure John from Vegas will be calling you back. You know he <laughs> wants to talk to you guys. Absolutely, Charles. All right, let's get to it here. Uh, Giants at number two. Let's start big picture first. Simply from a value standpoint, are the Giants making a mistake if they don't take advantage of the situation to draft a quarterback? Or do you believe that one of the position players, and you can talk about whatever ones you want, are yep. worth the value of staying at number two and selecting them there rather than moving down in the draft and acquiring more picks? Yeah, I think that the position players that they can acquire right there at two are worth the value of not selecting a quarterback because this quarterback crop is plentiful. But I don't think that there's a consensus across the board that this guy is the guy. That guy is the guy. That's fair. Right? I mean, you guys, you guys talk, to the, talk to people everywhere. Let's, let's just take some recent drafts. Clearly, Mariota and Winston were one and two. Pick your order at their time, correct? Yep. Okay. Then, then Goff and Wentz, pick your order. Same deal. Distance themselves. In this draft, where is the distance? If you like Darnold best, you will hear a lot of, you know, well, I don't like him for this reason, that reason that I like Rosen, or I like Allen, or I like Mayfield. And I don't know that there's that type of a distance in that pack. So they could all turn out to be great. They could all turn out to be not so great. It's probably somewhere in between. But when I look at the value what the Giants can get it too, you can get Quentin Nelson, the guard from Notre Dame, the best offensive lineman in the draft. You can get Saquon Barkley, the running back from Penn State, the best player in the draft. You can get Bradley Chubb, the defensive end from North Carolina State, the best defensive end, edge rusher in the draft. I kind of like my chances with one of those guys as well if I'm not sold that I want that particular quarterback at number two. Well, Charles, we all know, though, that the quarterback is the sexy position, and there are so many folks yep. who think that there are a bunch of teams that will be desperate, and I mean desperate, to make a phone call <laughs> to Dave Gettleman and back up a tractor-trailer load of picks and make a deal. Now, how likely do you think that is, given the fact that there are many of us who think this quarterback class has flaws across the board and really should not be worth trading a tractor-trailer load of picks for? I think that what will happen is someone will come up and make that offer, but I don't think it will be the tractor-trailer load. I just don't think that – I think your, your second part of what you said is probably closer to the truth, and it's maybe not something we all want to identify because when we talk draft, you're exactly right. The quarterbacks are sexy, and that's what we want to focus on, and that's what drives the chatter and drives the interest in this thing. But when you really get up close, are you going to give a tractor-trailer load full for anyone? Name your quarterback. If it had been Andrew Luck when he came out, I think there would have been more interest. Yeah. I think people would have made that move. I don't think that we're at that stage with this crew, even though we don't know what's going to happen. One of them may very well wear a gold jacket one day, maybe even two. Who knows? But right now in projecting them, you're looking at all the things I believe that you mentioned, that when you get them up close under the microscope, you may see a few flaws that keep you from bringing that tractor trailer with you. You might just bring an SUV. <laughs> and under those conditions, I think from what you said, and we agree, then Dave Gettleman should just make the pick. Have conviction in somebody and take the guy you want. And you guys have met Coach Gettleman. You've known Coach Gettleman for a while, probably from the first time he was with the Giants. Yep. Ever met a man who ever met a man who doesn't have con who has more conviction than Dave Gettleman? No. When he decides to do something. And no. by the okay. way, doesn't so, give a damn what other people think either. <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> give, 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 you know, what's the old Chris Rock routine about? Does he give you know uh, a certain number of you know bleeps? Yeah, he gives zero bleeps. <laughs> yeah, he does. Okay, that's that, that's coach, and that's how he's been. I'm fortunate enough. I, I played against coach in high school. 
and have had the pleasure of knowing him for a long time. I have no bat phone to him. I have no inside information. <laughs> I've admired him for a long time. And one thing I've admired is when Coach makes a decision, off he goes, and no one sleeps better than Dave Gettleman. You know, Charles, I want to dig in a little bit more on, on Saquon Barkley. We're joined by Charles Davis from NFL Network. The way I see him as a player is he's not going to be a guy that's going to, you know, pound it 25 to 28 times a game like Ezekiel Elliott. But he's going to be a weapon in a different way. And I use the word weapon instead of running back for a reason. I think he's a guy that will give you 17, 18 carries. But you're going to be able to use him in the pass game, split him out wide, get him six to eight to nine touches in the passing game. And he is going to be a guy that if you use him right, maybe won't churn out yards like Ezekiel Elliott, but can affect the game in just as big of a way if you use him in the passing game the right way. Do you agree with that? I agree totally with that. And, and let's go ahead. You know, we all make comparisons, and you use the one with Zeke Elliott and why he, Saquon Barkley would be different. I think it's an apt comparison that you've made. Work with me here on this one. Sure. If you're going to use Saquon Barkley the way that we're talking about, and it can be a premium way, you're talking about an Edgerin James type of a player. Yeah. You're talking about a Matt Forte type of a player. How about Marshall Falk? A Marshall yeah. Falk type of a player. Okay. Now, Marshall was extremely special. You guys, you guys know you watch him for all mm-hmm. those years. Saquon is a bigger version of him. Yep. But, but Marshall, oh my God, there wasn't anything you couldn't do with him. Saquon gives you that same potential. Now he'll have to realize that out on the field. Marshall, we know, did it and was a Hall of Famer. But this, that type of a player, what you described, that's what I'm, that's what I'm describing back to you with, with certain player comparisons. Falk hits big. I think Forte hits. Remember the beginning of Forte's career? I mean, he was going to run for 1,000. He's going to catch it for mm-hmm. big yardage. Yeah. Remember when Roger Craig was in his prime sure. and was seeking to run for run for 1,000 and catch for 1,000? How about Thurman Thomas, that's too? Go old Park. school. Thurman yeah. Thomas. That's what those guys can give you. And the intelligence to play the game. Yeah. To understand pass protection, understand how to, you know, how to maneuver, work with your quarterback to get in the right spot to help him. That was another big part of those types of those guys' games. They Char- fought right in sync with the quarterback. Charles been doing this a long time and what what I've come to realize over the years is that a lot of the trends that that, that are either in the beginning of their happening or even have gone on for a few years seems to then affect somehow, some way, uh, the way coaches and GMs are going to proceed moving forward. There's a trend right right now that defensive tackles are becoming better pass rushers. They're they're getting more pressure on the quarterback, and so now all of a sudden people are starting to say that centers and guards are holding more value than they ever have before. Do you agree with that? And is it time then to say a guy like Quentin Nelson is worthy of a number two pick? Yeah, and I agree totally with it. And we can trace it back to a number of places. One place we can trace it are the Giants beating the Patriots in Super Bowl. Think about the pressure that was put on Tom Brady, and it wasn't all edge pressure. Mm Mm-hmm. Think about the Super Bowl Seattle had with New England. And if Cliff Averill does not get hurt, remember what he was doing going inside with Michael Bennett yeah. and going right in the teeth of him and right in the face. And when he went out of the game and they weren't giving that same gut pressure, the game changed. Nelson is the best offensive lineman in this draft, guard, center, or tackle. So you have to value and respect him. And now you put him in there. And what I've been saying for a while is he may not go – where he's rated in terms of how he is as a player, maybe, maybe the number two player in the draft. But whoever gets him is getting a flat-out jewel. And I'm going to tell you a team that flat-out needs him, that's Chicago Bears. Yeah. <laughs> if you go Mitchell Trubisky and go from three to two and make your move, if you can get now Quentin Nelson this year, and I don't know if he'll be there for them, but imagine if he is, they should run to the podium and say, here's our card, because now you take Cody White here and put him back at center. You get Kyle Long back from his, his surgeries, and you put Nelson in at guard, and you're helping out your young quarterback. And by the way, you get a little dap from Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen, too, because mm-hmm. they'll run the ball even better. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's a screaming need, and I know people are gun-shy because of that draft we had a few years ago with Jonathan Cooper, Chance Warmack, we yeah. had you know D.J. Fluker. We had all those guards that didn't pan out the way people wanted, but people have to remember in that draft, was in a super draft. Correct. 
Yeah, and, and if you go back, that's actually been one of the weakest drafts in, in, in recent years. We're joined by Charles Davis. And, you know, Charles, when you look at the top of the second round, and the Giants have the 34th overall pick in this draft, I see depth at a lot of different positions. I think you might have a first-round caliber corner at the top there. If they don't go Barkley yep. in the first round, you could get a very good running back at the top of that second round. Yep. You can even get a very good interior offensive lineman. Probably. You go yep. through those groups, so. or maybe you think there's someone else in there that I'm not including in terms of a position to go right ahead. Where do you think the best value is going to be at 34 for NYG? Oh, man. Look, if, if, if Barkley turns out not to be the pick, you'll have a choice of runners at the top of the second round. Yeah. Whether whether it's a Darius Weiss, whether it's a, a Sony Michelle, whether it's a Nick Chubb, a Carry on Johnson, a Rashad Penny, you know what I mean? I mean <laughs> you've gonna you're you're gonna and you don't have to go right there at the second round to get them. You mention a corner at the top. And Isaiah Oliver could still be sitting there from Colorado. A guy with length and, and you know something, they've turned out players now, Chidobe Awuzie. Mm-hmm. Played pretty well for the Giants last year coming out of that same system. Cowboys. So, you know, excuse me, the Cowboys, my, my apologies. But so so when you put it all together, yeah, there's going to be some talent out there. And you're going to got look, an Isaiah Wynn tackle mm-hmm. guard from Georgia yeah. is sitting right on that border mm-hmm. about someone may snatch him in the first round, but he could easily get into the second. And you're getting a first-round player, in my opinion, right there at the top of the second round. Because I've had him going to Atlanta for a while. You know, I've got him looking at Seattle could, could could use him in a big way, even though that they for, they feel like they fortified their offensive line. They still need help. There are a number of players. Hey, the New England Patriots, if they want to keep him at tackle, because he can play tackle. I think he's going to be better inside at guard. Mm-hmm. But he can play tackle, and he can start for you there. So we got a number of places that we can go. And it's going to be interesting because there are going to be some first-round guys, to your point, that are going to get pushed. How about you mentioned the defensive tackles and how important they've become now? Deron Payne from Alabama is going to be an interesting case yeah. study because the recent guys from Bama, their strength has been in run stopping. Yeah, Jaron Reed, Ashawn Robinson, those guys. This oh, guy's a little bit better pass rusher, but again, people may see him from Bama and push him to the second round, and you may get a value there. Charles, as a guy who played this game and who does study both NCAA and NFL football these days, we just talked to Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus, and and analytics have become so critical now to what guys are looking at, but we all know that's not the big picture. It's only one slice of the orange. I'm curious, from your perspective, since you've been doing this a long time and have seen all the levels and played, uh, how do you feel the, the NFL is adapting to the usage of analytics how much of the, the percentage is overtaking maybe what the scout's eye is telling him? Where do we stand with that right now? Good question. Uh, yeah, it's a great question, and I think we are sifting our way through it and trying to figure out what our levels are. And I think one thing that we have not discussed, and you guys probably have, okay, but I'm going to bring it in from my, from my outside world. Analytics have been around the game since we started playing them. Yep. We just didn't call them analytics. <laughs> we called them tendencies. Right, right. Right? Yep. I mean, you turn on you turn on the movie, Remember the Titans, and here comes Coach Boone sliding across the sheet of papers to Coach Yost and saying, I had Mr. Mr. Grimes from the math department watch their last three games, and here's a breakdown of what they did as analytics. We didn't call it that. Now, because of the baseball and the money ball, and analytics got a bad rap because of what happened in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. but when you really look at it, when you look at Cleveland over the last couple of years, Sashi Brown has been drummed out. Paul D. Podesta has been drummed out. The analytics thing has caught a lot of grief. They actually did fortify their roster. They just didn't win games. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at that draft last year. You can't tell me that that draft last year was not a professional football draft. And you can call it whatever you want to getting Jabril Peppers, David Njoku, and Miles Garrett all in the first round. It's not Those bad. Are three big-time players. Legit players. That's really good stuff. Call it, call it what you want to call it. Analytics, non-analytics, whatever. That was a big draft. But those guys caught a bad rap on that, and they're out. But guess what? Ten years from now, we'll look back and go, you know something? They might have known a few things. 
and that's where we'll be. Well, I guess part of, part of the question, and and I think it's it's for the old school guys like me who think that maybe they're taking it too far when you're talking about the rotation of the ball when the punter's kicking it. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're they're getting so so computerized, so scientific. Charles, I wonder if they're not pushing the envelope so strong that they almost do themselves a disservice when they when they come at you with numbers like that because you know there's not a scout in the world left footed right footed punter you, you know <laughs> you know what i mean it, it it to some degree aren't the computerized numbers just a little bit overdone at times they are and if you're using the computer to justify everything that you do yeah i would say the answer is going to be yes but if the computer and you're true to it, and remember, computers only spit out what we put in as humans, right? Yeah. Correct. So you've got to program that computer for what you want. What are, what are you looking for? What is your baseline? What is this? What is that? But if you're going to take the computer and change the formula in the middle of what you're doing to justify what you want, then you're screwing the whole thing up. Sure. So if he, if you're saying you, your corners have to be between 5'11 and 3'8", Right and six foot two and, and whatever, and you all of a sudden say, "Boy, I really like that six four corner. I'm gonna tweak it a little so I can." Yep, see, coach, it works. That's what we're getting. You've changed the game, and now you're drafting willy nilly again. You might as right. well go back to Street and Smith like they used to. Yeah, so who made the All American team? Is that Cosmo? Is that Cosmo Cavazzi, the hey, first team running back? Wellington Mara used to do know. that and many years ago in the fifties. He looked through the book and he just picked guys out. That's and that's how it was done back then because we didn't have scouting services and the whole deal. And I always come back to this, guys. Even the great ones are going to make mistakes along the way. Sure. I remember the great, the great Bill Walsh. There's going to be no better quarterback guru ever than Bill Walsh, right? Mm-hmm. I remember one year he said that the most NFL-ready quarterback in this year's draft is John Beck from BYU. Yeah. I remember it. How'd that go? Yeah. Okay. So, 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 so he's not. You know, we're all going to make mistakes. I remember reading Ernie Acorsi's fantastic book, and you guys probably read it as well. It's one of my favorite mm-hmm. passages ever. Was him talking about being with the Browns, a young guy at the time, and they were having the draft, and Paul Brown wanted a quarterback that year, and all the quarterbacks he wanted went off the board, and the last pick before him. I forgot who it was, Earl Morrill or Len Dawson or someone like that. They make the pick. And, you know, back then you did everything by, you know, speakerphone hookup with the league <laughs> yeah. office, right? No, you know, and everybody's doing that way. <laughs> and I remember Ernie, of course, he describing that. You probably remember where he said Paul Brown's head hit the, hit the table. Yes. And, of course, no one spoke because it was Mr. Brown. And finally you hear this disembodied voice say, I guess we have to take <laughs> – Jim Brown. It <laughs> yeah. was devastated. Did not, did not want Jim Brown to save his life. Yes. Guess what? Pretty good pick. Uh, yeah, yeah, man, not bad. Charles, I, I have a big picture question. I think this has kind of been a debate that's been going back 30, 40 years in scouting. Do you draft traits or do you draft football skills? And I think you get to a point now with limited practice time in the NFL that the question really becomes even more important because it's more difficult to take athletic traits and turn them into good production Mm -hmm. and football skills. Do you think front offices are making adjustments? Have an adjustment been made where maybe they look at a guy like Calvin Ridley and they say, that guy runs NFL routes, but oh boy, Cortland Sutton is six four, and he, you know he runs this, and he's this, and he's big, right. buddy, but he can't run routes. Are, are they kind of wrapping their heads around the new reality where maybe you have to think about drafting more complete football players because you don't have the time to develop guys the way you used to? I think that's a great point, and I think that the best teams have been doing that, and will continue to do that. But it all comes back to. When people talk about organizational philosophies, that everyone is in sync all the way down. You know, it's like talking about, I'm going to take baseball into it. When we were growing up, okay, I'm 53, all right? So I'm going to tell you that, but now you've got a mindset about what, what time frame I grew up. When I grew up in baseball, you played baseball the Orioles way. They had a manual. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers way. They had a manual. This is what we expect. This is what we look for. These are the drills we do. This is what's important to us. And they cut out the chaff about what's not important to them. 
The best organizations in football do that now. Mm. And I remember talking to someone recently, and again, Bill Walsh comes into play, and they would sit around and have their scouting meetings and the whole thing. And, you know, when, as soon as the scout would start to tell you what a player couldn't do, he'd cut off the conversation. I don't want to hear that. Tell me what he can do, and how does that relate to what we do, mm. and are we getting, and do, is that something we need in our organization? When you have that clear philosophy, and everyone knows what you're scouting into and what you're looking for, that's when you have the best teams in the league, the best scouting in the league, the best organizations that sustain in the league, because there's no gray area on the whole thing. You're not going to all of a sudden interject that guy into the conversation that doesn't fit what your organization philosophy is, because if so, you're going to get kicked out of the room. That's not what we do. And, and who hired you in the first place? If you not read what we do, that's, that's, those are the ones that do it. Now, will you miss occasionally? Of course you will. Of course. But you're better off having that in there and knowing what you want as opposed to always trying to shoehorn in something that doesn't fit what you're trying to get done. And you know what you have then? A new GM, a new head coach, and yeah. a new roster because you're not there anymore. Right. Charles, I love what you just said because it applies to the Giants. I've told this right to Dave Gettleman's face, even though I've known him for many years and he's back here for the second time. He's doing things. He's reinstalling George Young's Giants back with with this club. And it's amazing because, you know, Dave got to the Giants after George had already retired. He he came here under Ernie Acorsi. But it's amazing. Every time I talk to Dave Gettleman, and everything that I've learned about what he has established here in the last couple of months, it's all got the ghost of George Young whispering in his ear. It's incredible. I'm seeing so many so many uh, uh, blueprints that are coming back to life, and I think that goes directly to the core of what you have just said. And that's why Dave Gettleman was the right guy to try to turn this franchise around. Yeah, and, and look, the, the best ones always have it, and they can – they can articulate their philosophy in minimal minimal sentences, <laughs> and you understand what they're trying to do. Those are the best organizations, the best people putting them together. Everyone gets on Pete Carroll about the rah-rah stuff, and you know, you're hearing Sherman get on him now, and you're hearing Michael Bennett get on him. It's always the guys getting on, on people who are no longer in those organizations, right? Yeah, yep. It's just always like that. Right, yep. But did Pete not have a philosophy that everyone understood in Seattle? Did people not understand, you know, what his message was about how he wanted to be great? And they have a theme for their practice sessions. Hey, it's turnover Tuesday. Hey, it's competitive Wednesday. Whatever it is, you can ridicule it all you want. I think his system has been proven to be very, very effective. And he had to work on that after, you know, he had lost his job a couple of times. He had to put that all together and put it into practice. Vince Lombardi would have been able to articulate his philosophy. Tom Landry, George Allen, right? You mentioned Mm -hmm. Mr. Young and what he put in place in Ernie Acorsi. All of them knew it. And guess what? The buck stopped there. And if if you weren't all in on that organizational philosophy, then you could get a job somewhere else. That's how we're going to do it. So we do it the Giants' way. We do it this way. The best ones have it. You're not going to win a Super Bowl every year, but you're going to be in a position where year in and year out, you're playing in the playoffs, and people understand what you're all about, what we call brand nowadays. Mm -hmm. There was always a brand. The the Lombardi Packers brand was pretty simple, wasn't it? Small playbook on offense. Tune it up really well, and we're going to run the power sweep right yep. down your throat. And then Bart, and then Bart Starr on third and short is going to fake it, fake the run to Jim Taylor or Paul Horning, <laughs> and throw deep to Max McGee or Boyd Dowler or Carol Dale. And guess what? We're going to win a lot of championships, and we're going to be tough and nasty on defense. And they were. That playbook's one of the thinnest playbooks going. Yep. And it won five. And it won five championships in the sixties. You're talking my language, Charles. You're talking my language. Charles, I love it, Charles. Real quick before <laughs> we say goodbye, I've been asking everyone that's come on um, what their prediction is for what the Giants will do in both the first and second round, and then what you would do if you were the general manager. Why don't you give me both of those round one and two? Well, I think that Coach Gettleman, I, I believe he'll stick it too. I think there will be offers that will come. He'll listen to him. He's a smart man. I think he'll stick it too, and he'll make his decision. The Giants, as you know. Have always have always thrived on defense. That's why Bradley Chubb is really attractive to people. But I think Saquon Barkley ends up being the picket too. I just think there's so many things you can do with him. How you help Eli? How you kickstart your offense? He's a guy you can build around. And I know runners. It scares everybody. But we started taking these runners higher, 
and it's paying off for a lot of people. Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette, mm-hmm. Christian McCaffrey. Every one of them has been a home run for these teams that have drafted them. I think Saquon Barkley can be the exact same thing. Okay, so you think they would take Barkley, and you would take Barkley as well I, if, I if you were making Barkley. the pick? I would. I would take I, Barkley. Would be the guy that I would take if they if they if they stick it to and don't take Barkley. I would think that they would go Bradley Chubb because I grew up in New York State, guys. The rock stars in New York, when the Giants were, were good, <laughs> were always on the defensive side. Yes, sir. Frank Gifford, notwithstanding. Okay, the guys who got the best tables at Tut Shores and at Sardis were the defensive players. Yeah, wasn't the offensive guys. Okay? Well, except, except for Giff. <laughs> except for Giff. Hey, Charles. Bef- except, for, except for except for Gifford. <laughs> and the last thing I'll tell you is, you guys who've been around Coach, I've been around him just enough, and he's told me this ever since I've known him. Charlie, it's always going to be a big man's game. Yes. Think think about that when they when they line up at number two. And Charles, you don't have to give me an explanation. Just real quick, top of the second round. I know what's tough. Give me your prediction and what you think they'll do top of round two. Uh, top of round two, I think you're starting to look at offensive line. You know, and, and I'm going to tell you something. If Isaiah Wynn slides through there, yeah, he's a good. Pick. I'd run to I'd run to the I'd yeah. run to the podium me and too. go get him. Great you stuff. Know? I'd run to the podium and go get him because you can play him in either spot. But I do think ultimately he he, he fills where Justin Pugh should have been full-time, which was at guard, but he couldn't be due to injuries. I know we're running overtime, but i got to steal 30 more seconds. Give me a percentage, Charles, on the Browns not taking a quarterback because that could screw up a lot at of things. At one, you mean. At, at one. one right. At because one. Because that could screw up the one, Giants. Yeah, I, I put it at, at, at 5%. Okay. Thank you, Charles. That they, that they wouldn't. That they would, and I think it's ninety-five percent they do. And I think John Dorsey already knows who he wants, but he's smart enough not to tell anyone, <laughs> even in his organization. I will believe it's not Sam Darnold when I see it. Charles, great stuff. Thank I you, really Charles. appreciate the time. I know he held you a while. Thank you so much, and enjoy it. All right, our pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. When you see Coach Gettleman, please give him my best. We will. We will absolutely. That's Charles Davis. Thank uh, you. You see him on Path to the Draft and NFL Network. He'll do the, the draft coverage next week Great. as well. NFL on Fox. Uh, and he gave us a lot of time there. He was fantastic. He was sensational. Enjoyed it very much. Great conversation. And sorry, Dan Salomon, we got to wait on lunch because we have two people holding on line here for calls. <laughs> and I got to get to him, okay? Uh, just one, actually. John in Vegas is still there. John, I hopefully have. you hit at the craps table to pay for this call. What's going on, buddy? <laughs> I have unlimited minutes. Okay, excellent. Nice. Good. What's up? I, I was enjoying the conversation. Good. We tried. <laughs> but uh, actually, you guys answered one of my questions. I mean, if I'm on, uh, you know, Davis Webb, he's chopped liver. No. Not for me. I don't he's think, prime rib I, for me. I don't think we know what he is yet, John. I think we got to find <laughs> out. Well, you know, we had a, a full mediocre season with him holding the clipboard. You know what? It's funny. I actually called, you know, for him to be drafted. I was Because last year I'm thinking, you know, maybe to start thinking about replacing Eli. And I liked this kid, Davis Webb. I, yeah. I looked at some tape, and, you know, I mean, he's got the physical attributes, right? Mm-hmm. But no one talks about him. And I hear you guys, you know, talking about the prospects. And it's like, all right, is he chopped liver? John, John, tell, tell him. How many times have I well, talked John, about Davis? Well, John, I'll just say this, and I know you listen to the show. You, you've obviously missed a couple because – I'm tired because show, oh actually. perfect because John I'm tired of Paul Dettino talking about Davis Webb he yeah. loves Davis Webb so you and him can meet somewhere have lunch together <laughs> and have a great conversation about you guys love Davis Webb it'll be up, wonderful hit me up on Twitter because <laughs> I, I do think I am the unofficial king of the Davis Webb fan club especially because Eli has at least one maybe two more years I'm with you a thousand percent you know the other thing is you know Des Bryant. I mean, what's what, what's what's the block on him? Is it just uh, everything between his ears, his attitude? Uh, or I, why wouldn't they give him a shot? I think there are multiple things with Des Bryant. One, he's not the same physically he was when he came into the league. He's lost mm-hmm. at least a step, maybe two, with all the Who leg is? injuries he's had. The um, foot, and, the, and the foot injuries, yeah. You know, legs part of the foot, foot's attached to the leg bone. You know how it goes. And and he okay. also has the issues between the head and the cowboy. And Stephen Jones has you know made this point a couple times when they've discussed Des Bryant in the off season. He's a pain in the rear end, and I think they're tired yeah. of dealing with him. And I think if you look at the type of guys Dave Gettleman has brought in this off season, 
they're not those types of guys, which is why I think Paul and I think it's probably pretty unlikely that that becomes an option. You know, I threw out okay. Eric Decker's name before as a guy who might fit that role who is still available. Look, I don't know anything about them talking to him. I don't know if right. they have or they haven't. I'm simply saying if you wanted a guy to fit that role, you wanted to bring in a veteran who's going to be a tall guy and a possession receiver, he fits a lot of those those boxes. But, again, that doesn't mean that you know he's a likely candidate. He just fits a yeah. lot of the, the description. You know, certainly I hear you guys talking about analytics, and the big problem is the X factor. There's no analytics for heart or durability. Or attitude. And that's part of it. There's there's no analytics for that. And that's a big part of it. No question, John. Or coachability either. Thank you, John. Right. Hey, have a good one. Hey, you too, buddy. Good luck, and good luck at the tables. Yes. (laughs) Thanks for calling and hanging on. And a great job from Sam Monson and Charles Davis. Again, apologies for not getting to more of your calls, but I thought the guests today were really wonderful. Um, Next week, though, we'll have time for you. Paul and I are on on Monday. We're going to have Tony Pauline, just one guest. We're going to have at least 40 minutes of calls that day. Okay. So get in. Give us a call. We'll talk strategy, whatever else you want to talk about. We can have the Barkley quarterback battle that's going on on Twitter for the last month and a half if you want. Whatever <laughs> you want to do, that's cool. I also have a fun scenario I'm going to give Paul next to, to, to see if I can move him off his spot. Well, and, okay. And, and I'll see if I can do that. And then we'll have, again, a lot of calls next week. We'll have a couple more guests as well, but uh, try to get your opinion on what's going on in the NFL draft. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. For Paul Dottino, I am John Schmelk. Enjoy what should be a Almost spring weekend, kind of. It's not going to be 40. I can give you that. Enjoy it. Have fun outside. We'll see you on Monday. And, by the way, voluntary Vanner minicamp is next week as well. Stay tuned to Giants.com for coverage of that. And then the draft is on Thursday. It's finally here. Enjoy the preview. See you then.